The following episode of the Comics and Crypto Podcast is for informational purposes only, and anything expressed by the hosts or their guests is solely their opinion. This podcast does not constitute financial advice, and anyone wishing to invest should seek their own independent financial or professional help. Have fun, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sean O'Hare, and I know comics. Hi, I'm Spencer Vogel, and I know crypto. Hi, I'm Kevin Lee Loader, and I don't know sh- This is the Comics and Crypto Podcast. Comics and Crypto You mentioned a little bit before the uh, the Mickey Mantle rookie card. So the 9.5 recently sold for $12.6 million. Do you think that uh, you know a huge, huge sale like that can have effects across other collectibles markets outside of trading cards and really bring all the other markets up? Maybe some. I'm probably someone that is more skeptical of that than the average person. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly good to see like what the, what the top end of the market is. And for that to always be pushing the envelope and always be increasing in new record sales every year, two years or whatever it is, is, is certainly a, a good thing, but I don't know, in, in sort of the aftermath of the Mickey Mantle record sale, I don't think we saw other categories really like you know, have these, have these huge rises in price. Right. And, and I would yeah. say like probably the lower grade 52 mantles were the only real notable beneficiary of that really high uh, 52 mantle sale. And maybe, I don't know, I didn't like, I didn't really pay close attention to like Willie Mays prices during that time or Jackie 52 cards. Like maybe those also saw a bump and maybe, you know, random player PSA 10 saw a bump. I don't really know, but the only card that I can definitively point to that saw, you know, a really nice increase as a result of that sale is the lower grade 52 mantles. I don't know that it really like, I I think it's good market science for people. I think in general, it makes people excited and maybe it has some like, you know, very small, like less than 1% effect, like across the board. Um, and I, I think it certainly just spurs a little more enthusiasm and excitement in general, which is very good. Um, yeah. probably leads to some people being like, wait, 12.6 million for a card. Like I haven't bought cards in 30 years. I got to see what this is about. Right. So yeah, it leads like, yeah. it leads to some of that too, for sure. But, um, yeah. I don't, I don't think that we see this like super correlated, like rise in prices no. across the board as a result. Yeah. I definitely don't think it's like a, a short term, you know, effect that you see, but it kind of more like what you were alluding to at the end there. I think it's you kind of more like long-term effects. Like you might, you know, three years later, you start to see an effect because somebody saw that sale. And like you said, they got back into, you know, starting to collect cards again. And, you know, maybe they're a big hedge fund manager and can afford a, you know, $20 million card. And so they decide to buy it. It's like, I think that's more where it is. It kind of brings people either back to the collecting or, or into it for the first time. So yeah, I think you kind of would see that effects like much, much, much farther down the road. Any big headlines are good in general. I mean, well, maybe not any, like if, if some huge <laughs> scandal came out, maybe that yeah, wouldn't be yeah. the best thing ever, but like any neutral or positive headline that's that, that meets a lot of people and meets a lot of potential collectors is, is good news for sure. Yeah. It's a couple of exciting too for the comic book market. We don't see a lot of sales in these, for these grails in their highest grades. It's very, very uncommon. You know, some of them have never even sold like fantastic four number one. There's only two nine sixes and that's the highest grade. And there's never been a sale, even from a recession, you know, it doesn't matter because people with deep pockets are going to want that. And they're going to FOMO into that. That That is true across categories too. Like some of the really best cards, like when's the last time a PSA 10 mantle went for a sale, like 25 years ago. Yeah. Right. And you know, you look at green PMGs of players, like when's the last time that a green Kobe PMG or a green Jordan PMG went for public sale? It's been a while. Um, but then, you know, it's, 
it is really an interesting indicator, I think, of when a card is, or any collectible in general is, gaining favor or losing favor with collectors is like, look, if there's a card numbered to 99 that gets sold 40 times in two years, it's not a great sign. And, you know, you probably know what card I'm talking about, like the, the 03 LeBron exquisite RPA. It's like an interesting one, right? Like that thing surfaced so many times. And the 2000 Tom Brady championship ticket, number two, 100 rookie autograph, that card has surfaced like 30, 40 times, maybe more in the last two to three years. There's only a hundred of them, right? So like 40% of the population is turning over every two to three years. Like that there's not enough of a market built up for that card to maintain its prices if it's going to turn over that often. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you can point to cards limited to a hundred that almost never surface, like a red Kobe PMG, right? Like when's the last time you saw one of those at public auction? You don't, you don't see those all that often. They appear from time to time, but it's there. like, there's, it's interesting how you can have things that have the same exact production numbers and some of them can appear, they seem like they're always on readily available whenever you want them. And other ones you're like, I haven't seen one of these in like forever. They even exist anymore. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like a reference in the comic book that you're looking at like Hulk 181, which is the first appearance of Wolverine. And that covers Epic. It's Wolverine and Hulk battling it out. It's one of the coolest covers ever, but that nine, eight, it went for as high as I think $120,000 and it's back down to 60 or 70. Now as a nine, eight, there's a lot. There's a lot of them and they keep selling, you know, so the scarcity factor comes into play. That's what happens too, is like when the price of something jumps up really quickly, then people who hold it, like there's this whole consolidation period, right? Like particularly in collectibles where collectibles are interesting because the price of an item can drive up really, really quickly. And because of the lack of liquidity, right? Like let's pretend that I own one of these uh, 86 Fleer Michael Jordan PSA 10s. And it's been a $40,000 card for, I don't know, a couple of years. And then all of a sudden there's a hundred thousand dollar sale. And two weeks later, there's a three quarter, you know, three quarters of a million dollar sale. Right. Like I can't like, as that item selling, I can't like, it's not like stocks. I can't go in and click sell now and, and you know, mm -hmm. sell to the, the market bid. Right. Like I'm going to have to take that card and card that expensive. You probably aren't going to want to put it on eBay. So now you got to send it to golden or maybe PWCC or heritage. And then from there, it's like, you know, now they all, they all just got sent 30 of them. Right. Yeah. And so like, now you're in line and you got to wait forever. And it's like, when, <laughs> when, when, but you know, there's not this like mechanism in place for when something is really quickly going up for people who have that item that are now willing to sell it as a result of the rise in price to be able to sell it quickly. And so because there, when there's that really quick rise, you see a lot of consolidation after that. And that's a lot of, I think that's a lot of what we've seen too in, in, you know, three cards I'll call out, um, you know, the, the Lebron 03 exquisite RPA, the 2000 Tom Brady championship ticket, and the 1986 Fleer Jordan. I still think some of those have some, some consolidation yet to go. Um, but then, you know, you see also there's a huge rise in the industry and it's like, there's a lot of LeBron cards that didn't see the light of day. And, you know, there's, there's, there's the RPA to 99. There's the RPA to 23 that we've seen a lot less of. There's a one-of-one -one base card in that set. There's multiple LeBron James, or there's how many, how many, I think there's one LeBron, maybe two LeBron logo mans yet. Yeah, I think there's two LeBron logo mans in uh, exquisite. There's a LeBron logo man RPA in ultimate collection. There's a horizontal and a vertical. There's multiple one of ones. There's this Bowman rookie signatures. One of one. He has a triple autograph and SP authentic, a rookie card, all on card autos limited to 15 Kobe MJ LeBron. People don't even know about that card, right? Because no one's, no one's sold it. And so it's like, you know, it's, it's this interesting thing where sometimes the market can really go up a lot and like still people aren't that willing to sell. We've seen that with a couple of specific LeBron cards. And that's why I always hesitate when people call the LeBron RPA to 99, like the Holy Grail. It's like, that's not the best basketball card. It's not even the best modern basketball. It's not even the best LeBron James card. It's not even a top five LeBron James card. So like, you know, let's get it, let's get it in perspective. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, there's certainly a lot of consolidation sometimes around these cards and, um, or any collectible in general, when you see a really big spike and at the same time, it's a card that has 
something of a, you know, a decent size pop, like 30 to 50 plus. And it's something that people are like, okay, at this price, geez, I can get better cards for this price. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up the term grail. Cause that's something that we've talked about a lot within our community. And we've kind of come up with our own definition of a grail specifically for comic books. Cause it's you know, the terms very subjective, but for us, we, we look at a grail as a comic book that's worth a half a million dollars or more in its highest grade as an investor. So, you know, grails can come and go, they can, you know, fluctuate down or even go up and new grails can come into play. Do you have a, any specific definition for a grail for sports cards? Man, I don't know. I feel like grail is like a loaded word. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so like it's so yeah. specific, right? Like yeah. someone could be like, "My grail is like I I just want any 2003 Topps Chrome LeBron James base card, right?" Like, and that's you know more power to that person if that's the thing that they really want to chase and the thing they really enjoy and the thing they want for their collection. Like, great. Now, if you want to, I I just think people in general need to be careful about like overselling certain things and being short sighted. What I mean by that is like whether it's an auction house or a breaker or someone making eBay titles on the listing. It's like, you don't want to act like everything is this once in a lifetime opportunity. Cause if everything's a once in a lifetime opportunity, nothing is. And, and what happens is, you know, there's all this new money that came into cards and collectibles, like tons of it. And I think one of the things that, that frustrates me about cards is all these new people came in, like everyone and their grandmother was doing cards during COVID, right? And like, it just, there wasn't this mechanism built to have this really high retention. Certainly a lot of people were retained, but like more people left than stayed. And I think a huge part of that is, you know, if you're losing money, you're going to leave. If you're losing money, you're going to leave. If you're losing money, you're going to leave, right? And it's like, that's that's like sort of the linchpin and like fractional to me too, is like, look, if you are a company that is in fractional and investors keep making money, they're going to keep coming back. And if they lose money, they're going to leave. And that's like, that's the name of the game there. And eventually some fractional company will build a big enough platform that they're sort of like, uh, you know, in the art world, you have like these museums and these, these collectors that they'll buy up a bunch of stuff and then they'll say they bought it. And by virtue of saying they bought it, it goes up in price, mm -hmm. right? Because of the provenance and because people trust them. And when someone fractional builds that, it will allow them to really succeed in fractional because imagine rally buy something. And when they say they bought it, it goes up 30% because they say they bought it. Well, now they've got something really interesting there, right? And that's going to take, you know, it's going to take the right amount of wins and buying the right items and the right sort of, uh, content around that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I don't remember where I started on that rant. It's just there's uh, a <laughs> there. I, OK, I get, getting back to it now, it's like I I don't think it's good when people lose money. And one way to make people lose money is to tell them like, oh, my gosh, like the LeBron's 99. This is the holy grail of basketball cards. And then like you've got these millionaires like bidding each other up, bidding each other up, bidding each other up. And then there's this huge consolidation afterwards. And then these millionaires, billionaires are like, okay, geez, well, I lost $500,000 on a LeBron card. Like I'm not doing that again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and that's how, that's how you go very quickly from having a lot of new money coming in to a lot of money coming out. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I think also it's just, again, it comes down to do your own research and really understand what it is you're, you're investing in. That's a big problem people have. Well, I always, I always say like, you really need to understand the rarity of an item. And like we sort of just talked about, rarity isn't only how many were made. It's like, how often does this thing come for sale, right? Or even if I look at, you know, I, I collect these 2014 Prism World Cup gold prisms number to 10. Then you have, it's the first year of Prism soccer. It's the World Cup set. To me, it's like a very important, exciting set in soccer cards. Um, and then you would compare that in basketball to like the 2012 gold prism set. Cause that's the first, it's this, there's 10 made of each player for both sets. They're released two years apart. If anything, you'd think, okay, well, the 2012s probably come up a little bit less just cause they're two years older, but it's really the opposite. Like the soccer cards are so hard to find because like when they came out, they weren't worth much at all. And then they, 
they got dispersed very internationally as opposed to some of the basketball cards that tend to be more like China, Japan, USA, right? And then it's like, you know, so they're all over the place. They weren't viewed as valuable when they came out. And now like the 2012 gold prism basketball card probably comes up three to five times as much, maybe even more 10 to 20 times as much as the 2014 gold prism in soccer. Um, and so like, what I always tell people is like, dude, eBay is your best friend. Every collector knows like eBay is your best friend yeah. for things that you're interested in, like make saved eBay searches. And, you know, if you make a saved eBay search for a certain video game and, and in the first week, three of them come up, like don't freak out and overbid and be like, I need to get this one now. I need to get it now. Right. Like maybe have that saved search for two, three, four, five, six months, and then look and see, okay, which ones of these have new results every day when I come back and which one hasn't had a new result in six months. And then you can sort of start to ascertain like, okay, well, geez, you know, this uh, Sonic Adventure 2 battle for GameCube sealed is really tough to find, right? But, you know, Wave Race Blue Storm is not that tough. I can get that if I really need to. It's not, it's not going to be a problem. There's 20 sealed copies available on eBay, right? And so like, you know, I think when you have these safe searches and over time, you start to realize what's really rare. And it's, it's particularly important to do that for items where there is not really a known print run, right? Like you'll have some cards, like it's number to 10, like, okay, you know, not every card number to 10 is made equal, but you at least have a sense of like, there's 10 of these out there. Um, but for some of the stuff like sealed video games, certain comic books, um, you know, some of the old vintage soccer stickers and things like that, where it's not so known what the actual numbers are. I think it's so, so, so important to like have a sense of the rarity by having these saved eBay searches and checking in from time to time and seeing what comes up often and what rarely comes up. Yeah, we've actually been recently doing that. It's been it's been incredible. We've been able to snipe some amazing opportunities because of it too. Yeah. Dude, I I'm telling you, man, you you may, you may not know this. I'm 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 a freak, so like eBay <laughs> e eBay limits you to 200 save searches. <laughs> Dude, really? I haven't so pushed I have, those ones so yet. <laughs> I have three accounts because like, I can't searches. get them all. I can't get them all in one. <laughs> Um, and it's that's like, amazing. you know, and some of it's like so obscure. Some of it's stuff that's like, I've had the safe search for three years and nothing ever came up, mm -hmm. but then it's like, I had one wow. that I was really, I had one that I was really excited about. And this was sort of before he was doing all the crazy stuff that he's done recently. It's like, I had a search saved for a 2008 VMAs pass. And that's when Kanye interrupted Taylor Swift. And I was like oh. looking for a ticket to the event. And I had that search for like two years and someone listed one for 50 bucks. And I was like, Boom boom, done. Right. Yeah. Like I would have paid 20 times that for that. Um, and so that's like, an, you know, and it's really fun when that search that you've had for like three years and yeah. nothing's come up and then it yields something and it's like 1% of what you were willing to pay. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's every collector should have saved eBay searches. That's like, that's rule number one. Right. Yeah. Actually one of them, it ties into our conversation earlier. So we've actually also been really excited about the, the movie ticket market, but actually we've been buying Japanese movie tickets. Ah, uh, yeah. Because we love the artwork on the front. The art it's on so them cool. is incredible. So cool. Incredible. And also world premiere tickets. Like I was able mm -hmm. to get one for Step Brothers, which is great, and yep. one for Harry Potter. And I'm definitely planning to get those graded soon. Low level of entry. And I just, I love it, man. It's such, it's so cool. The Japanese ones, I'm like, you know, if I look at other collectible categories, I'm like, okay, well, you know, video games, I would sort of compare that to like a PAL video game, right? Like there'll be a market around it, but it's, it's, less exciting than having like the NTSC US version. I had a Toy Story search saved and I'm just like, that's, that's great IP. This is iconic, right? An original world premiere ticket to Toy Story came up and it was not a great listing. And I'm like, I'm going to put in a low bid on this. I'm going to put in like, oh, I think I put like 160 bucks on it. Mm -hmm. I want it for 99 cents free shipping. 
it's like you know it's ridiculous <laughs> right like if you really pay attention like there's there's like Holy there's, shit. Like, like there is there a world where that's a ten thousand dollar ticket like there totally is and even mm-hmm. if i just grade it and send yeah. it to golden right now it probably does 500 to a thousand just by virtue of getting the right eyeballs on it and people yeah. be like oh wow this is sweet right I, like i know multiple people right now that would pay a lot of money for that <laughs> yeah well i hope yeah. it shows up i bought it like yesterday so let's not let's not oh, you did yesterday? Hopefully, oh uh, man hopefully, hopefully the hopefully the seller doesn't watch it say it's like oh that's a great idea i'm gonna send this to psa and get it off the board right? <laughs> you know? we'll oh, wait a few days awesome. to release don't worry <laughs> okay there we go I'll, I'll let you know when it comes in and then you guys can release yeah perfect <laughs> this is one of the things i actually i i, I tried to snipe because there's one on the market right now but i, I put this up and is it for your consideration it's still sealed of the matrix and the back is, is the the academy i love the matrix from yeah, like a too. general cultural importance standpoint that one is only going to become more important i totally agree and i've actually been also stacking first print dvds of that it's like sealed first prints of those and, and then you get them for like seven eight dollars online you got to make sure you know what you're looking for though but it's because there's 2001 prints. I'm just going down a tangent now. But, <laughs> but well, this, this is what I love. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to ask. I don't know how to like tell what's what in VHS and DVD. I'm yeah. not oh, like that advanced dude, there. So I don't know how to tell the Yeah, we've been paying a lot of attention to that. Yeah. It's yeah. all like over I, the place, dude. It's right here. Like, this is the first print of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you know it's a first print because of the Pizza Hut sticker. <laughs> That's awesome. Pizza Hut book it. Like you had to read like 20 books to get the to get 20% VHS. off or like something off your pizza. <laughs> yeah, Which is so super funny. cool because it's turtles. Like they love pizza yeah. too. So it's, it ties yeah. great marketing. Oh yeah, Perfect. that's great. That's but even great. Last of Us, I saw there was a, a WADA co- a copy that was graded and it said it was like a, a second print of mm-hmm. Last of Us. But I looked at the serial number. I looked at everything on the back, the UPC code. It all matched to a first print. So my guess, my guess with that, and I know this is true of a couple of PS3 titles, is that it depends on the case, the clear case that it's in. It's not even, it's not even a difference of any of the label or anything. But if you look at the top of the clear case, some of the, some of them are in a Blu-ray case and some of them are in a PlayStation branded case. Ooh, so okay. I don't know if like, if you look at, if you look back at your last of us there on the top yeah. right corner of that clear case, um, is that, is there a Blu-ray logo uh, there? It's, it's Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't know, it's certain games, certain games only had Blu-ray certain games. Yeah. I think only had the PlayStation logo, but I think some yeah. had both. So if you're like, man, like everything's the same, I don't get it. Why is there a first print and a second print? It might, it might be that for PS3, but like, you know, I only know that from like spending hundreds, if not thousands of hours looking at video games and understanding yeah. this stuff and like yeah. talking to the people yeah. that work at WADA or whatever. Right. And so like, you know, I, I don't have that base in vhs and dvd but if like dude i'm telling you like you send me a couple you're like yo this is the first print matrix it looks clean like i'll just i'll buy them because like i'd love (laughs) to buy some of those and i like even matrix is a ticket that i've been hunting that i haven't been able to find an opening day ticket of so you know it's like that's that's an ip that i believe in a ton particularly the way the world is going i think that's that's what's only going to be more important but yeah now 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 i'll get my first vhs and my first dvd (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) going back to to the uh academy screeners or the award screeners because we look at these as rare variants Here's one for Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's still sealed. Mm-hmm. And the Academy has 9,980 Academy members. So there are less than 10,000 of these produced. And even back in 2001, it's probably even less Academy members involved at the time. So these are incredibly rare variants that are never available to the public. In fact, if you actually shared it or if you let someone borrow it to, to watch the movie, you're done. You're kicked out of the Academy. It was a huge deal. <laughs> That's funny. These, I mean, not many people kept a sealed copy of Pirates of the Caribbean when you could watch them at home, which is a way bigger deal back then. You, yeah. know, you have friends over, you could watch the movie. Now it's not as big of a deal, but back then it's yeah. a huge deal. So finding yeah. these mm-hmm. still sealed. Yeah, well, it's really interesting, right? Like there's a lot of development to be done in this market to figure out like, okay, what's the premium on like, you know, 
one of those VHSs like that versus, you know, just the first print that generally hits stores. And it's like in video games, you might be like, okay, well, what really is the ratio between like greatest hits and first print? Or, you know, is an employee store sticker going to make a game more valuable, less valuable, the same, different? Like, I don't, you know, there's, there's a million things that sort of need to get fleshed out as that market just sort of matures. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's always really fun to have that thesis around like, Hey, I think like, I do think greatest hits are underpriced. Like what? I can get a nine, six, a crash for like yeah. 200 bucks, 300 bucks. Like, yeah. and, and, and like a nine two a first prints, like 20 grand or whatever it is. Like that ratio seems a little off to me, particularly because like there aren't even that many greatest hits copies. Like there's maybe yeah. 40 sealed or whatever it is. So, you know, it's, but it, it's when that market is immature, it's really fun to come in with like a couple different ideas, a couple different theses and build a collection around that. That's such a good point. We have a, a good friend who's a video game expert. He's been involved in this market for almost 25 years, 30 years. And he told us about the, the greatest hits. And now people you know, five, six years ago, they wouldn't even like look at it. You wouldn't take it seriously. And now the demand for those are growing because the market is growing. And that's like, I, I think CIB, I think it's, you know, it sort of went a little under the radar in the news that like WADA got CIB grading down to 50 bucks. And to me, that's really, really huge news because like if this market, if the graded video game market is going to, to reach its maximum potential and have, you know, millions of collectors across the world or whatever it is, the sealed population is not enough to feed that demand. Yeah. Right. Because like there's WADA's graded a hundred thousand sealed video games ever. What if there's like, how many card collectors are there? Even if 1%, just 1% of the United States collects, you're at like 3 million people. How, how is a hundred, let's say, let's say video games wants to get to 1% of the United States have th 3 million people collecting. How's a hundred thousand sealed video games supposed to supply that entire market of video game collectors? It doesn't, it doesn't really work. Right. And so I think by virtue of getting the CIB going into a reasonable price where now like you know, I think it was like 150 bucks before. It's like, it doesn't make sense to send in most any game CIB for 150 bucks, unless it's a really clean first print black box NES game. Right. And now it's like, okay, well, geez, there's a lot of NES, a lot of N64, a lot of other sort of games. Like you have a clean opened copy. Now it's probably worth grading. And there's a whole new universe of games that's worth grading. And, and that will create a much, much bigger supply that can actually like, you know, meet the demand of a larger collecting base, which I think is a really important thing. You, you made some really cool posts about this, the collectible sneaker market. I remember one recently, it talked specifically about the Freddy Krueger sneaker that, that mm. slipped out of the factory. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. so cool. Do you know much about Artifact Studios and the work they're doing, like specifically digital sneakers that they've been releasing? Um, it's funny. I, in that like sort of streetwear hype beast world, which I used to be a much bigger part of, um, most of the people in there know each other. So like, I, I don't know, like three years ago, me and Zaptio spent like, a, maybe not even three, four or five years ago, me and Zap spent like a whole day together in New York city. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, I haven't like talked to him a whole lot recently. I've like once or twice messaged him like, dude, you're killing it. Like, this is great. Keep it up. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't know a ton about what they've done. I mean, I, I obviously generally understand the space. I know plenty about Takashi Murakami, um, no plenty about Nike, but you know, I haven't like paid deep, deeply close attention to like their collections and how many they're making and what the, what the going rates of items are. I haven't paid a ton of attention to, but that's sort of my, the extent of my knowledge there. Yes. Yeah, so like I, I'm a clone X holder. Um, so I've been, you know, really involved in the artifact ecosystem for the last uh, year and almost, almost two years now um, since they've, they've been out. And 
you know, they've done some really, really cool things. And it is definitely, especially with the partnership with Nike, that, that's one of, uh, you know, part of the thesis why I think some of the the digital sneakers are going to do well. And I think some of the, the physical collectors are eventually going to want to get involved with it, especially because they're doing, um, you know, they call it forging events where you can basically take the digital sneakers that you've purchased from them and forge them into physicals. Um, so, you know, the one of the reasons I really like it is because, you know, the, the scarcity is proven on them. Um, so, you know, how limited the supply is, which, you know, for, for a lot of sneakers that's publicized, but you know, for certain, you know, because of the blockchain tech that, you know, only a certain number of them can possibly be forged because of the total supply of NFTs. And you can see how many were actually forged. You know, some people may have opted not to forge them for whatever reason, or forgot to do it within the time window when they were supposed to. Um, so, yeah, so I think a lot of these, these digitals are going to be you know, valuable because of their connection to the physicals, especially because they're doing a lot of interesting things with like NFC chip technology, where you can link your NFT to the physical sneakers that you own. Um, and they just had a release. Uh, it was like the CIRL, um, you know, basically they had like, I think four, three or four different versions. And with that one, like they're going to be doing a lot of really cool stuff, like integrating, uh, like basically move to earn technology where like based on like things that you do while you're wearing your sneakers, it's connected to an app and that registers, you know, that you can earn a certain amount of cryptocurrency or earn an NFT or whatever it is, you know, basically reward people based on, you know, the activity they do in, in the artifact sneakers. Um, and yeah, just because, you know, there haven't been very many of these that have been released so far, and this is kind of like the first iteration. Um, and, and I see Nike continuing to lean into this for, quite a while. Like, you know, they, they spent like probably close to a billion dollars is not fully publicly reported, but people think probably close to a billion dollars for the acquisition of artifact. Like they're, they're going to put a lot of, a lot of effort into this. So I think a lot of these first edition, you know, digital sneakers, I think are probably going to do, do pretty well long-term. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I, I totally see the vision there. And I would say too, like I've, I've seen Zap succeed at multiple things. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't bet against him. I wouldn't bet yeah. against Nike. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's, sneakers are sneakers are a really interesting category it's one that's like not really meant to be a collectible in some ways either um yeah. kind of like maybe the video games or something like that and mm -hmm. um it's one one of the things that i i always hated about sneakers is like you know you want to wear them and it's like the second you put them on they lose like 80 percent of their value <laughs> yeah um but yeah sneakers are sneakers are totally fun i totally get it and hey look i guess you can wear a digital sneaker without really damaging it right exactly. that's, that's, wild. that's that's yeah. you know sort of a unique piece of it is like mm -hmm. hey look i can have this on i can put this on my avatar or i can you know show it off digitally or whatever and it's not going to lose value it's like it's you know it's mm -hmm. cool to have a pair of freddy kruegers but like you know as, as a guy, i always wanted a pair of entourage air force ones it's like but like, am I really going to wear those around? Like, no. I don't know, they're like $10,000 or $20,000 exactly. now. It's yeah. like, I, I can't, like, as much as I love that stuff, I can't justify that. Like, that's ridiculous. No. Right. And so, you know, if, Hey, look, if there's, if there's a digital that you can wear and enjoy and have them on court side with your, you know, uh, your, your chip or whatever it is that allows people to see it. And like, you know, there's something, there's something cool about that, that you can use it yeah. and you don't like lose 80% of the value by using it. Exactly. Have you had a chance to dive into the, the VV digital collectibles much? I was hoping you would bring this up because the answer to that is really no. And I, I, <laughs> really? I'm very interested to, to learn and hear more. <laughs> 